Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, one of my favorite guests. We've had this guest on so many times in the past to break down everything there is to know about the NBA's CBA. Uh, Mr. Larry Kuhn, ESPN salary cap expert. Larry, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks, James. You know, we have uh, this amazing thing happen where, as opposed to the past couple of times, the the NBA is not going to halt business. We're actually going to see this thing connect one CBA to another without a break in the middle. How excited are you as somebody who studies this so much to see that these two sides were able to get together and sort of, you know, end labor unrest? Well, forget that, first of all. As a basketball fan, I'm just thrilled that there's going to continue to be labor peace for the time being through 2023 or so. And we're not going to have a lockout. We're not going to have a protracted labor dispute. Uh, The first thing that gets interrupted when that happens is summer league, which um, is important to me. So I love the fact that we now have everything locked in and an agreement in place and NBA basketball is going to continue. But then as an analyst of all of this, and I've been watching this closely ever since 2011 when they came out with the last agreement, looking at where the problems were, how they were going to try and fix it. And I'm thrilled from that perspective also. One of the big things was that the players took a big haircut down from their guarantee of 57% of the revenues under the old agreement, where the league was saying, hey, that's unsustainable. And that was the primary reason for the lockout. They eventually took a took a shave back to 50%, plus or minus a percent. And the league's been operating under that ever since. And the fortunes of the league got fixed. Part of it was the new money coming in with the new TV deal and, and other sources of income. But part of it was the fact that the players right-sizing their salaries uh, really helped the league stay afloat. All the teams that were losing money uh, got a lot more profitable. Franchise values skyrocketed. And the narrative had always been that the players were going to want to be made whole once that happened, that they took one for the team when times were tough, but now that times aren't tough anymore, they wanted to get some of that, at least some of that 57% back. And what happened instead was that nobody wanted to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. They got uh, a a really quick agreement between the two sides on just the same 50-50 split of revenue. And from there, the rest of it just fell into place. They they had some time to tweak the rest of the system. Um, And I think that we came up with something that made a few changes that improved the system, but nothing really revolutionary. There's going to be some improvements that are going to be visible, but a lot of the things are really behind the scenes and won't be noticed unless you're a cap geek like me. Okay, so when you talk about a 50-50 split, uh, it does look like the players actually got, they got a little bit of that back, although it's not, it's in a different way. So while it's still a 50-50 split, they, they were able to add a few other items that weren't previously part of the basketball-related income, the BRI. It, it, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, they tweaked the formula for what they're including just a little bit. But the main difference here is it's still a 50% split of a pie that's now a much bigger pie. The players are making about 50% more collectively now at 50% of the revenues than they were making at 57% of the revenues back in 2011. And it's going to go up a little bit more, like you said, because they are, they're growing what in, is included in the, those revenue calculations. Okay, so the salary cap has blown up. Is there, I, I kind of like one of the, the things that they've done is they've raised the rookie salary cap 
Uh, well, I mean, the rookie, the rookie contracts, uh, the rookie minimums, they've raised the league minimums, and they've raised the, the mid-level exemption. So it sort of feels like they're trying to bolster the NBA's middle class and lower class. It, does that feel like that's part of what's happening? Well, you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, yes, based on where it was last year, they're really looking at the players on the bottom of that pyramid. The you know, there, There's a lot of them. That's, that's why it's a pyramid. Who are at the minimum salary and in their first years in the league as a first-round draft pick. So there's that scale salary there, the exception salaries and all that. But the other way to look at it is this, the amounts for all those players were – set back in 2011 when the last CBA was negotiated and they grew year by year by a fixed percentage and they didn't anticipate this huge growth in revenue that hit with the new TV deal. So when those salaries just kept going up by a linear amount and the rest of the pie got much bigger, by percentage, their salaries got a lot smaller. So they did something that they call right-sizing. Um, the, the revenue grew by about, about 45%, coincidentally. And what they did was they adjusted all of those things back up to around 45%, another 45% of where they are now to kind of even things back out. And the proportions are where they were back in 2011 where, when the agreement first started. And to keep that from happening again, they're also tying year by year changes in those amounts, in the minimums, in the rookie scale contracts, in the exceptions like the mid-level, they're tying those to revenue changes. So as the revenue grows, those will all grow at the same amount. So it's going to keep the, the league in proportion in the future. Okay, Larry, this is it's incredible that it's happened so quickly and they were able to get this done. Who is it that you really point to as the reason why? Because Again, we, we, we went through this in 2011. That was just miserable, and it was just two contentious sides going at each other. Is, this, uh, is it about Adam Silver being the lead negotiator? Is it the players involved? Is it the new, uh, the new players union rep? I mean, who do you think really broke this thing down? Well, we start with George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, Hamilton, <laughs> Uh, you know, all the way up to, let's see, Ben Franklin's on the 100, right? <laughs> so yeah. the, I think the big driver, like I said, is is all the money coming in, and nobody wants to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. But, yeah, they could have been acrimonious over this. They could have stuck to that narrative that said, hey, we want to be made whole here, and they didn't. So there, I think, is a lot of credit to go around for that. You know, Adam Silver is, this is his first negotiation as commissioner, where it was David Silver. David, yeah, David Stern before, um, but Adam was the chief negotiator with the union in the 2011 agreement. David's job was more to kind of keep the owners wrangled, and there was a little bit of dissension in the ranks among the owners last time. Some of them were real hardline and wanted this 48% hard cap, and you know the, the players can either take it or leave it, where others were kind of the old school David Stern guys who were a little bit more conciliatory toward the, the players. And I was a little bit worried that something like that might happen this time. But Adam did a really great job of keeping the owners um, all on the same page and, and driving toward an agreement. You look at Michelle Roberts, second of all, and she was another worry, frankly, when she took the job. Definitely. Because when she came out, when she got the job, you know, she was she was telling a hard line saying everything's on the table. We're going to look at everything here. Some of these could have been political promises. And, you know, you kind of move to the middle after you get the job. And that's just natural. Uh, some of this, I think, is her learning curve. And I think some of this is rebuilding a spirit of trust and cooperation between her and Adam that didn't really exist between David and Michelle's predecessor, Billy Hunter. I think that 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 spirit of cooperation was built pretty quickly. They had productive conversations for you know at least a year, and they really made a lot of of headway even before they got to this point where you know the the clock was ticking. It's not that the clock was. You know, it's not we were on a hard deadline. The sides had a December 15th date to opt out of the CBA in 2017. And even if they didn't come to an agreement, they could have still kept negotiating 
you know, they could have opted out and kept negotiating until June 30th. But when that happens, you increase the likelihood of something bad happening. So the fact that they got it done by Dece before December 15th was great. And then the third factor here is the players. The There's an executive board of players that really lead the union. Michelle Roberts works for them. And last time it was Derek Fisher and a few of the other players. The demographic of the players was different. They were sort of the rank and file players where this time some of the superstars took over. Chris Paul is the president of the union. LeBron James, the first vice president. Carmelo Anthony is in there. Dwayne Wade. And one of the worries there was that you think, okay, they're just going to going to get a better deal for them. Well, we're going to you know, get the rules that take care of the superstars and the rest of the players are left in the lurch. Well, that didn't happen either. They really went out of their way to take care of the guys at the bottom of that pyramid. And that includes the guys who are already out of the league. They're doing a lot more benefits for retirees in the form of pensions, educational benefits, and health benefits. So I don't point to one particular person or entity as as being what drove this agreement i but if i did have to say one person i would i would kind of say adam um but i really do look at this as as a collective effort and everything falling into place just right you know larry you brought up in that uh that that those the the veterans the stupid the superstars didn't really negotiate hard for for them to have increases but in some cases, especially with Paul and LeBron, they did in the way that they were able to lift the the 36-year-old ban, you know, sort of where you can't have a long-term contract that goes past 36, now it's 38. I mean, the fact that Chris Paul can sign a five-year, $210 million extension, is that shocking to you? Because I'm looking at that, and it roughly looks like he'd be making 50-plus million as a 37-year-old, if it plays out the way that, you know, year by year. Yeah, I said that they took care of the guys at the bottom of the pyramid. I didn't say that they were altruistic and self-sacrificing in doing so. <laughs> and, yeah, the guys at the top of the pyramid certainly got a couple of benefits. And you're right. One of those is that the over 36 rule, which effectively says if you're signing a long-term deal, a four- or five-year deal that it goes past your 36th birthday, then they're going to – start cutting back salary in a way that just makes it so that you can't make any more than you could have made in a three-year deal. And they lifted the ceiling on that. Now it's the over 38 year, over 38 rule. And the rules, the same with the substitution of that number. It all works identically, but players get an extra two years. And I would have to say that part of that also is a reflection of the, path, the fact that players are, who are in good shape and, and playing well, are playing older too. Player, you know, it used to be the 35 over 35 rule a couple of CBAs ago. It went to over 36. Now at over 38, we're seeing players who are playing well at that age, and this allows those guys to continue to make money. In addition to kind of being a nod to guys like Chris Paul, the other thing that they're doing is, um, and this is not going to help Chris Paul or LeBron James directly, but they're adding what's called a designated veteran exception, and. It's they modeled it after something that they've had for a while for guys coming off of the rookie contracts, the designated rookie exception, where and the 530 criteria where where guys coming off of their their first rookie contracts and they sign that big extension that takes them another four or five years, they can get that fifth year. They can get a higher maximum salary. They can go up to the 30% max, where a guy in the league less than six years usually starts at a 25% max. Well, they took that idea and they applied it to the veterans. For the guys who are coming off of that second contract, who are now finishing up their eighth or ninth year in the league, they are allowing those guys to sign extensions or sign new contracts where, again, they can skip a salary band. They can go all the way up to the 10-year maximum, and they can get an extra year in an extension. So that helps to keep guys who are right in the prime of their careers coming off of that first extension, it gives them a lot of incentive to stay with their current team. Obviously, the, the inspiration for this was Kevin Durant leaving OKC to go to the Warriors. And you like to say that they're trying to prevent superstar teams from being formed, but 
You know, the players fought long and hard for that right to to move teams when they want to. And if you do want to keep a player from leaving in free agency, there's a couple of ways you can try and do it. One is to make it more restrictive, or the other way is to try to make it so that the guy has incentive never to become a free agent in the first place. And they went with the latter here, where a player coming up in that situation can sign that extension, huge extension, way more than he could get by changing teams now in order to stay with his club. And now if you look at kind of the life cycle of a superstar player, it's going to look like this. He's going to come, he's going to get drafted. He's going to sign his rookie deal, which is going to cover his first four years. If he's good enough, he's going to find, going to sign that designated player extension off of his rookie deal, which is going to carry him another five years. And then after that, he's going to sign his designated player ex- extension, which could take him another five years after that. So we're talking about a guy who's a superstar being under one team for 14 years before he really hits the open market if he wants to maximize his money. That's crazy. Because DeMarcus Cousins is in that situation. Sacramento Kings fans are going to be intrigued by it, although I'm not sure that DeMarcus is going to get max money because of the you know, sort of the ups and downs of what's happened in his career. But if the Kings are looking to sign DeMarcus this summer and DeMarcus is willing to to sit down and listen, it sounds like they could lock him up to a five-year extension on top of the remaining one year left on his contract, keeping him in Sacramento until, I don't know, he's 32, 33 years old. So it's definitely something that, that if it works out right and that's the right decision, that could, you know, again, keep, Demarcus in a King's uniform where in past years he may not have been able to stay. Yeah, and you have to worry in situations like that where the team is just starting the upswing and they have a guy who's kind of in the middle of his career. Are you timing everything correctly? Demarcus is, what is he, 26 right now? Yeah, 26. So I think there's still time they could lock him up long term and still continue building the team around him in order to get competitive again before he sort of passes his peak. Yeah, and I guess the one good thing is that the salary cap has gone up so much that on top of, you know, retaining DeMarcus in the 2017 summer, they would still have a massive amount of cap space to go chase other players, and so it would free them up long-term as well. Yeah, it turns out that that, the deal he signed uh, with the Kings a couple of years ago, you know, it was a four-year extension rather than a five-year extension, but it was at the max money, and... You know, he's he's in 2017, 2018 going to be coming off of an $18 million salary. So for a guy who's at an all-NBA level, that's a, really a value contract. Yeah, and I mean, what's the next dollar amount? It's got to be $30 million, right? He, if he were able to, uh, to sign that designated veteran extension, then, you know, this summer for that, we're looking at $36 million. Next summer, we're looking at close to $38 million. Yeah, wow, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to put in to a player that you're not sure. Uh, <laughs> Especially when you're talking about a five-year deal at 8% raises. If you start at 37.8, which is where we're projecting it's going to start at, that is up to $219 million. Wow. That's that's a, a whole lot of money. All right. So, uh, Larry, they, you, you're you going to come up and see the new arena. We, we were already working that out off the air. Um, but you're seeing salaries uh, go up massively. We're seeing all of these things move, but are you at all surprised that the players didn't go back to what they tried to do last time, which was attach the value of franchises to to somehow get that as part of their piece of the pie? Because that's something, even since the last CBA, we've seen the Clippers sell for, what, $2 billion? Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen the Kings sell for you know, evaluation that was astronomical. And now they're saying that that franchise before the arena was built had already reached 900 million. And it's probably going to be worth like 1.3, 1.4 billion. Are you surprised the players didn't go back for some of that money as well? I'm sure it was put onto the table for discussion. And I could see their points, but I can see the owner's point too. And I look at it like I look at a stock, right? I, if I buy a stock, I own, I own a piece of the company. And when I sell the stock, I'm going to make a profit that is based solely on the value of that piece of the company increasing. But in the meantime, I could be getting 
dividends from the company. When the, the company has operating income, I get a share of that. So it's two sources of income I'm getting from this. The players are getting their share of the operating income of the NBA. As the league makes money on a year-by-year -year basis, they're getting their split of that, which makes perfect sense to everybody. But the, the money you get for selling the franchise is the result of your investment in buying the franchise in the first place. And the players didn't put up the money for that. The owners put up the money to buy the teams. So just like when I put up the money to buy a stock, the operating income is separate, but when I sell the stock, I'm making the money based on my original investment. So I think it makes perfect logical sense to keep it the way it is. And I think that if the players are, are getting enough out of the pie, you know, they're, if it's all out of operating income, then they're, they're getting quite a bit of money here. So I, I don't know how much either side fought over the issue, but it didn't end up in the final agreement. And I don't think it was really worth having uh, a protracted dispute over. That's right. All right. So, Larry, thank you so much for coming on and dropping crazy, crazy CBA knowledge on us like you always do. Um, have a good, happy holiday. You too. Thanks. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me in the talkback portion of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle is Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. A.B., Happy holidays. That's not right, man. The studio where we do a lot of our work, recording and work and all that stuff in has the Christmas. They've had it on for about six weeks. I hear that song every day. So you're kind of kicking in the PTSD for the uh, the, the holiday music sounds. I worked when, when retail and grocery for so long that they, they literally are burned into the back of your skull. It's not yeah. fair, man. It's not right. Yeah, it's just there. It's just all hiding in there. It's hiding. I, you know, I think that's why some people just go nuts during the holidays because it's like they do have PTSD from all of the uh, the overload of. Sugar. But happy holidays to you, sir. Yes, happy holidays. And I don't want to be. I don't want to be a bah humbug. I love the holidays. I love everything about it. I even love that stuff. I just like to complain about it. So happy holidays to everybody out there. There it is. And how's it going, Kings fans? How's it going? Uh, How you doing out there? Scrooge came to visit early. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how it's going. It's mass chaos. Trying to keep it upbeat for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know what always goes through my head? Every Again, talk about music. And, um, you know, there are certain things in your life that, you know, certain smells that instantly remind you. Like anytime I smell chewing tobacco. Uh, it reminds me of my grandfather who passed away when I was five, but he chewed all the time. And it, that smell, like, instantly, like, his face pops up in my head. And uh, the Sacramento Kings now, every time I think of them, it reverts me back to my childhood because my mom would watch Days of Our Lives every single day. And so you got to know the characters and, you know, soap operas. And I, I at some point, you race home to go see what's going to happen because you're so entrenched in the stupid soap operas as a kid um and every single time i we get into one of these situations it's like sand through the hourglass so are the days of our lives see Aaron, I, you're I, the same you I, I was, <laughs> hey my mom loved that show too so i that song is actually seared into my head as well see what i mean it's like ah, how do we get away from this? It's like, okay, we got drama. And uh, I, I, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna beat this thing down. And, and to be honest with you, I haven't written on it because this is about as awkward as you can get. It is, it is the strangest. Uh, I, I don't even know what to make of it, Aaron. There's, there's this code somewhere along the way that, you know, that I, I think as a journalist and as a player that everyone should live by. And when we look at this DeMarcus Cousins situation that has completely spun out, it, it literally is DeMarcus Cousins versus the Sacramento Bee, which is crazy to have a newspaper and a and an NBA player going at it. And, and each of them, each of them in their own way, and, and I'm not going to mince words here. Each of them bullying each other 
And I, I'm not going to, I mean, clearly the one of them bullies with their print and, and their ability to use the keyboard. And one of them bullies with the only way that he can in response. And it, it's an awkward situation. The, the press should never be the news. Uh, a reporter should never be the news. And I feel like that's happened. A player should never approach a journalist. That's happened. Uh, but there's nuances to all of this. And, I mean, realistically, it, it to, like, sit this one out isn't because I'm, I, I don't want to write something negative. Or, it's because how do, you, how do you be fair to everyone involved? And I, I don't think there is a way to be fair for everyone involved. Everyone is being childish and ridiculous. And I I understand DeMarcus Cousins being very angry over his his brother being mentioned in the very last paragraph of a very, very suspect piece about how NBA players should be going to Studio 54, places like Studio 54 and like Wilt Chamberlain's place. I, I just hate to tell Andy Farrillo this, but... If there were cell phones, none of those players would would be thought of the same way that they are now. And it's just bizarre. But to throw his brother in at the very end and then to have the B sort of say he's a public figure, he's a public figure. It's like, wait a sec. No one even knew who Jaleel Cousins was until he came through town for, for a draft prospect workout. No one even scouted him. I mean... He wasn't on anyone's radar. He'd been in Sacramento once or twice with his brother. But in all honesty, he's not a public figure. He's a D-League player that doesn't play. He's on a roster because he's DeMarcus Cousins' brother. And I don't know him at all. He might be a great guy. He might not be. He got in a little bit of trouble this summer. But why bring him up in a piece like this? And that's where this whole thing spins out, Aaron. It's where it all spins yeah. out. <clears throat> it's unfortunate for all parties involved. And I think that this is kind of it speaks to what needs to happen probably is the most important point is how do people respond to this internally with the Kings and, and kind of, cause there are no winners here. How do you, how do you forward through this and, and get beyond it and, and get to the point where, you know, all parties are behaving in a respectable manner. Those are the things that I think about when I see a train wreck dumpster fire situation like this is you can't have it from any of the angles, whether it's from cousin's side, whether it's from the B's side, and, and I've already put my thoughts out there on Twitter, so it's um, you know go check it out. Uh, on that end, it, it's tough to cover, and I and I don't I don't think anybody has unless they've got five thousand words to burn, you know, has a real great angle or ability to get into this because it's a five year old story at least, if not more, of you know kind of how the bee has covered him and even the team at large. So I I, I kind of saw a lot of articles out there. And even some regretful tweets like, you know, my nuance is, you know, your nuance is better than my nuances. It was kind of a sarcastic take at people saying, OK, hey, you don't really understand about this DeMarcus Cousins and Sacramento B situation, because frankly, people out there don't. I mean, unless you've covered this in detail, in depth for years and years and years and years, you don't see the tit for tat that's gone on between the two and, and kind of even how, uh, you know, actors like George Carl have played a role in, in the way that DeMarcus Cousins has been covered and so on throughout the league. You know, Pete D'Alessandro and, and, and the work that he did to to further the, the, I guess, the disparagement of DeMarcus Cousins throughout the league. So that makes it difficult to cover. And I don't think, unless you have 5,000 words, that you can really do it any sort of justice. And, you know, looking at the Kings, and that's kind of what the direction we got to take this is, you know, this is a basketball team. They have to play. They have to either win or lose. And what's going to happen? And and now, if you're Dave Yeager, you come out, you supported your player. You know, they, they did mention his kids, their ages in an article. I don't know where you stand on that, James, but I could kind of see where he would be frustrated with that in this day and age of identity theft and things like that and just protecting your children as as, as a public figure, as a truly public figure, you know, and, and what was the value in that within that specific piece, you know, by the B. But, you know, you, 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 you look at this and you go, where do they go now? You know, DeMarcus Cousins is in the crosshairs 
all over the United States now, not even limited to to sports reporting. You know, showing up in kind of general variety, you know, publications. Um, you know, they just lost in Dallas. Where do they rebound? How do they rebound? The trade, Demarcus Cousins bandwagon is as loud as it's ever been. So where do they where do they go from here? And I thought one thing was interesting about this, and I'll ping the ball back over to you. Is in a weird way, you know, Jaeger goes and he gets Demarcus's back. And and that's going to score huge with the big man, and mm-hmm. that 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 relationship is so key to the foundation of the team. So on one hand, that's a positive. Two, I thought, you know, if you're if you're the B in this thing, why not take a look internally and and see if there's ways that you can reach out and improve relationships with parties out there in the in the workspace, and 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 see if maybe this can just be a pivot point for everybody involved. It's been pretty toxic around Sacramento you know, with the media and the way that the team has been covered. You know, a lot of things have happened because of coverage with this team. You know, you saw Isaiah Thomas got sent out for practically nothing. That wouldn't have happened in New York. You know, that wouldn't have happened in another market that could just look and see the guy as a great basketball player and and not have that happen. And and the the general kind of dysfunction of the George Carl era, you know, with, with a little bit more accurate media coverage, I don't think it might have been quite so toxic for the Kings, at least in terms of their image around the league. So can Sacramento pivot out of this, you know, take a good look internally, all parties involved, and, and, and really try to tighten things up and, and, and see what, what good can come out of this? We'll see. I don't know. Let's say you... Yeah, we'll see what happens here. I mean, for me, I mean, you can see in the video, you can see my hair. I mean, I was standing right there watching this entire thing play out. And to be honest with you, um, Andy Farilla has written some nasty things about DeMarcus Cousins. And, and I mean, uh, that's his own thoughts. And most of them are under the guise of opinion. And it, it's not like he covers a team as a beat reporter. That's Jason Jones. And, um, and when I see someone say that he's a cancer that needs to be cut out with a scalpel, uh, amongst a million other things that he said, you know, I, I think Cousins and him had had a a negative relationship. I know they've had a negative relationship. There's been other times where Cousins has asked asked him like, "Where's your question?" and stuff like that in post game scrum. You know, when he's standing in the back of a scrum after writing something, and they've had other moments where they haven't got along. Um, but watching this thing unfold was actually it it was kind of strange. It was it was. It was almost like, I mean, the the video representation doesn't capture anything. It, to me, to me, that it, it has all the makings of uh, the videos that we see now on TV, where you see someone getting shot, but you don't see the eight minutes leading up to the shooting. And I, I know that that may sound like political or something, but but realistically. No one wants to watch a three-minute clip anymore or a six-minute clip. And I don't know if the B has the whole discussion or not, but I'll just say this. It wasn't a 17-second discussion. It wasn't. It was like a two- or three-minute discussion that escalated. And at one point, Cousins was sitting in his locker stall wearing his towel, having a discussion with Andy Farillo from like 15, 20 feet away, uh, and it built from there. And eventually, Cousins stood up. And the conversation kept going. This was not a uh, a reporter that sat there and just took fifteen minutes of abuse from somebody and like stood his ground. This was somebody who was a a willing participant in a loud discussion between two men, and it wasn't going to get physical. Garrett Temple was there. The Kings media relations staff was right there. Everyone was right there to step in as soon as anything. But you kind of had to have these people get together and say, look, don't write about my family. And look, I'm going to write about whatever I want. I mean, I, I think the the biggest thing about being a someone like myself who's there every single day is that you have to know that when you write something about somebody – they don't like they should have an ability to say something to you now whether it's positive or it's negative or they say hey you know can we discuss why you wrote this 
that that's a whole I mean that's it just depends on the approach. So I'm not going to defend a Marcus Cousins approach. I'm not because his message, while I don't think was off, I, I don't know that you know. Again, the B has done not only this put put his family out there. They put they put Dave Yeager's family out there, which to me that that was kind of an odd one because now you're again you're putting a target on his family like hey his kids are ages blah blah and his wife and kids names are this and this and this is where this is the house they bought i mean it, that just kind of feels like you're it what is it doxing somebody <laughs> uh and then that's not the only one that they did and the same reporter they got into this beef on the Darren Collison situation to me, I was shocked. He not only said what street Darren Collison lived on, he said what church they went to right around the corner and what neighborhood they're in and so on and so forth, which is which is fine if you're putting it out there what where Darren lives and all that. But the unfortunate situation for Darren Collison is the $5 million hanging over your head, there's a victim in the Darren Collison situation. So when you tell everybody where Darren Collison lives and you tell everybody where he goes to church, you're also telling everybody where his victim wife lives and goes to church. And this is how bad things happen. And so I don't know how else to like handle this. For me, again, watching it unfold... Uh, if things got physical, just Aaron, I would have been one of like three or four people that went in to restrain DeMarcus. But I never felt like it was going that way. Uh, and if someone acts like they thought it was going that way, they're not being honest. Because the video doesn't sh- may show him like standing up and leaning over somebody. But they did, again, that's why the nuance of seeing an entire thing, an entire clip of the whole situation play out. Some people you just have to let get their piece out. You got to let them give their two cents. And I think with Cousins, sometimes if if you try to stop him midstream, I I think you're just going to make it worse. And so watching this unfold, it was an interesting situation. But again, I've been in that locker room with him a million times. It's not like this is the, the, the most like out of hand situation I've seen, but it's not the first time I've seen something like this. And it probably won't be the last because he doesn't have a blog to respond to say, hey, this is what I think of your writing. This is why Studio 54 and and all these other places are a horrible idea and why this is why you shouldn't talk about my brother. DeMarcus doesn't have that platform, that blog, that, that's, that place he can go and say those things. But when you walk into a locker room and you've written something inflammatory – you're walking in knowing that someone might not be happy with you. And that, that's human nature. That's not DeMarcus Cousins. If you did the same thing to Aaron Aflalo, he's going to look at you and he's going to want to have a conversation with you. And that's typical of any athlete. And I've been told that this stuff like this happens in NFL locker rooms like almost on a weekly basis. That's right. And also, you know, there is this thing called the First Amendment where you're allowed to speak your mind. And, you know, if it's negotiated in the CBA that you're available for X, Y, Z and you're willing to pay fines or, you know, you throw all the legalities into this and the rules, it's it's pretty clear. Like if you're going to write about me, I get to say something to you about it. Now, does he cross lines? Absolutely. And that's probably where a lot of this conversation should head as far as the DeMarcus Cousins angles. But, you know, just real quick on the B, I think that there's just a a lack of oversight and it's been detrimental to their coverage. And I think that they've got to quickly look in the mirror and just say, you know, Hey, you know, when we're writing stuff, there's a lot of inaccuracies that that have been put out there, stories flipping back and forth, you know, at a moment's notice. And, and just, I think as a player, as, as somebody from the outside looking in, you want these people to attempt at the minimum to embody the truth, you know, as a journalist, You want to present situations fairly, accurately, honestly, and and really without any sort of, um, you know, agenda, if you will. And and you can't hide that under the guise of opinion. So um, I I think if you're going to look at that, 
you know, I think you just have to look at who is the messenger uh, delivering this message. And it would have been great if somebody else would have delivered the message. Because really, I think DeMarcus, he cannot continue to react like this to situations for his own good. Like, just take oh, no. basketball I, out of the equation. I agree. Yeah. Out of the equation, take, take everything out of the equation. He is, you know, he disqualifies his arguments by giving opponents easy to hang on to things. Oh, you swore. You know, the, you said a bad word. Therefore, your message is now not valid. Oh, you raised your voice. Your message is no longer valid. You put you pointed your finger in his face. You stood over a man that was two feet shorter than you. Your your message is no longer valid. And it's not fair at times. And it, it's it's not right even at times. But it's also not right to lose your decorum and to get to that level where you've let the anger overtake you and you become out of control in in that moment to some degree, not to the degree of, of physically intimidating, you know, or, or to to be more accurate, that you would actually, you know, do something physical, because I don't think anybody in that room felt he would. You just disqualify yourself with the stuff, whether it's with the referees, whether it's with your teammates, all of these things, they trickle down and that kind of gets at the core of the, the anti-Demarcus Cousins argument is that he is not the leader that you want him to be. And can he be the leader that you want him to be? And the good news is, is that he has a foundation of, of truthfulness, of, of honesty to a fault. And you can work with that. He's not trying to get over on somebody. He feels that he's being mistreated and he is responding in ways that are not the way that society accepts and they're not right at the end of the day. So if he's going to want to advance as the leader of the Sacramento Kings, and then this this gets to the Kings side of things, is how are the Kings going to pivot out of this? Are they going to start to hold accountable the, the things that are going to erode at their core? So if DeMarcus does this, can can they say, hey, DeMarcus, this these these things that I just actually just you know kind of outlined, these things are the things that you cannot do. And, and we need to work on that going forward. It's all good. We understand what they're doing. You're, in the, you're good with us. You know, we got your back. But these, these little micro points here, these are the things we got to work on. And take daily progress. You know, actually move forward the conversation instead of running around in the circle of here we go again. And I think that's the, the overwhelming, whether it's the media, like the media doesn't even care that the bee has done whatever they've done. They're just like, oh, DeMarcus Cousins in the news again. I don't even want to think about that. I'm just going to write this thing that says DeMarcus Cousins did this, and I'm going to get in and out, and that's it. I'm done talking about the Kings and their dysfunction. They are what they are. Here we go again. And that's what the media story is outside of Sacramento. Everybody in Sacramento who buys season tickets, who does this, who does that, they're like, I don't even care what this is all about. I just would like my team to stop being you know, fodder for – you know, almost Eight, like late six. night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's just yeah. crap at some level. So when does everybody that's a part of this this process say this is not what we want anymore? We need to forward this discussion and take incremental daily steps towards getting it fixed, because that's the only thing that I think is going to matter to the people paying for the tickets, to the people playing on the court, to the coach, to the people in the front office who are working their tails off you know, the people at the city who have worked, you know, moved mountains and built buildings, you know, everybody in Sacramento had this great moment, you know, X amount of time ago, however many years ago, I said, okay, hey, we can finally lift this cloud, you know, out from over the franchise. And now you're still under the cloud. They haven't, the people of Sacramento haven't had their payoff yet for the work that they did to keep the franchise in town. And I think that is what I feel in my, my Twitter um, replies when I go out and I read Sacktown Royalty. I, you know, the comments, they're almost hard to read at this point in time because they're so negative. And it, it just at some point in time, you have to make positive incremental change. You're seeing it on the basketball court. And we could talk about basketball, which I would love yeah, yeah. to do. Um, but it has to happen off the court as well. Yeah, when does basketball a basketball team really become about basketball? This for so many years, it has not been about basketball, and that that is a, a true shame. The Sacramento Kings have not been about basketball. 
and and it's not always their fault. I mean, some of this they've been thrust into, but also like I like to finish up. Like I, I don't know what the intentions are here. I, I mean, it's pretty basic to see what Demarcus Cousins' intentions were here, and it's very very obvious for me. I mean, his intention was to set set someone straight and say, look, you know, my family's off limits, and, and for the most part, I I respect that. And and I'm not quite sure why this this went that way, and I'm I'm not buying what they're selling. Uh, I I think this is it's one of those situations where you're you look at them and you, you say what exactly are you trying to say when you bring that up in the way that you did it and you throw it in at the end of a piece. Um, but if the intention was like this whole blow up was to like further to try to push DeMarcus Cousins out the door. Like, let's, <laughs> as... as let's, be, let's be real about it. <laughs> as a media outlet, uh, this did probably some of the worst harm that, that Cousins has had done to him in his career, as far as value. I mean, this was this was one that, that really damaged everything. And, and again, it's their right, it's their duty, I guess, at some point, to publish what they got to publish about this but uh you know again i think they became the story as much as demarcus became the story and i think that's i mean there's there's a moment here where everybody just has to to take a step back and, and grow up and, a and i bit. think that's frustrating for some people to be honest because i think that there is a a, a large group of people that are frustrated with the way that DeMar- demarcus cousins comports himself on a daily basis and that in itself is something that I think, again, it just comes back to the small tweaks in the personality and the personal growth of an individual where we're all infallible beings. Like we all do stupid stuff. Myself, I do stupid stuff all the time. And it's it's one of the parts of growing is to kind of iron out the wrinkles. And, and that's what DeMarcus has to do. I mean, we see what he does in the community. He clearly has a huge heart. I mean, you'd have to be blind to not see the kind of heart that this guy has. So how can he iron out the wrinkles so he can get to the good stuff? And the good stuff for him, because he's so talented, would be being the centerpiece of a basketball team that wins. So how do we get to that part? And I think there are people that are frustrated out there that, that may, that's a big deal is has been kind of brushed, not underneath the carpet, because obviously DeMarcus has taken his lumps, but they feel as if the B's behavior here has somehow diluted the story, which is really, you know, DeMarcus Cousins needs to not do this stuff, and he also needs to be a better leader going forward. Um, so it's a complicated story. It it's really complicated. is. It's complicated, Aaron. It uh, is complicated. I don't even know how to say it any other way. It's complicated. All right, so let's get to the basketball. Uh, the Kings lost to the worst team in basketball. Uh, I'll throw a caveat out there. Uh, Yeah, let's do some hoops. I'm I'm actually, here's the thing with the Mavs. A lot of people thought this was a terrible loss, and I'm typically kind of on that bandwagon. But they're with Darren Williams, healthy. They're a better team than their record suggests. It's a terrible um, loss. And and Dorian Finney-Smith is actually playing really well. He has been playing well for weeks. So when you look at their lineup of, of uh, Darren, Wes, Dorian, Finney-Smith, and then uh, even Salah Mejri is a good size-speed combo against DeMarcus Cousins, it wasn't the, oh, my God, it's the Mavs that, that really going into last, last time that you thought they were. They've been playing a little bit better the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, eek. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Kings and you had an opportunity to come back, I, I, I hate saying this, Aaron. I, you had an opportunity to come back from a road trip two and three and improve to eleven and sixteen, and you have the Portland Trailblazers, who are the team sitting in front of you in the Western Conference playoff race, sitting right there. They're coming in Tuesday night. You had an opportunity to go for your third straight win, and honestly, I, I haven't done all the math, but I'm pretty sure they had an opportunity to actually overtake. Portland on Tuesday night. That would have been hilarious, man. It would have been absolutely bonkers. (laughs) But this is what this team does. It it always does the same exact thing. It's 
one step forward, two steps back. Every time that you think they have something moving, the uh, the Memphis win on Friday night, absolutely incredible gutsy victory for a team that stood up for their coach, that that played as a team that played the best basketball game probably from start to finish that they've played. It actually looked like an everyday average basketball game where one team was just a little bit better than the other team by eight to 10 points for almost the whole game. And then it tightened up at the end when the home team made their run and that it looked like a real basketball game. But if you look and one team is 18 and 10 coming in, the other one is, you know, nine and 16 coming in, you would have thought that it was reversed. You know, I thought it was just a gutsy performance, a really, really high quality game. So many people contributing in different ways and then you get to Dallas, and like everyone just, where'd they go? I mean, your starting backcourt went two of eighteen, one of eleven from three. I, I have, I have this. This game to me was really easy to figure out, and it's it's because the Kings' offense is so depleted with Rudy Gay, and not even depleted in the injury sense, just with Rudy Gay, you know, with Darren Collison, you know, there's typically not enough offense on the floor you know, for the Kings. And so when one piece falters, two piece falters, they really get into a bad spot. So you take Rudy Gay out of the equation and you're already shorthanded offensively. And so it just takes the slightest thing to put them out of whack. And in this case, they took some of the weirdest shots. And when I say weird, because they're not bad, but they're bad. And, and they're out of rhythm, and I thought Jaeger hit it perfectly in the post game. Was he said, you know, we took a lot of uh, random early shots, and and it, a, a lot of that, um, I don't think they can play Ben McLemore anymore. His his flow within the offense is just incorrect, G- generally almost all the time. So he will s- just throw a little stutter step into what they're doing. Maybe he's late running saw, to a spot. I saw that you tweeted that that uh, and, and uh, you know you can't just you can't just throw him on the bench and ban him or or I guess you can because that's what's happened to Aaron Flalo. Uh, Aaron Flalo's just like see ya. Um, you know I I'll take my my twelve point five million and 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 be gone anytime. Um, but I, I don't think that you can just say goodbye to Ben. Um, you have to see if he can be a function of this because in all in all honesty, he's a placeholder for somebody else that they don't think is ready at all, and that's Malachi Richardson. And, I mean, whether Malachi is ready or not is it, not for you or I to judge. It's for Dave oh, Yeager to judge because it's his team. And, and I know that's like – that's the well, reality of I, it. I'm going to judge it. I'm going to sit there and say that, you know, Malachi not being ready is my concern for him personally. I don't think that he is ready, but I think that he might, you know, in 10 to 15 minutes per game, he might be able to go to the right spots because he has a natural feel for the offensive side of the floor. I think defensively he could get rocked every single play, but you know, Ben isn't doing much better. And, and so I, I don't want to put this all on Ben because I thought that the, this was actually the entire offense was really just, you know, you don't have to take the first shot you see because it's open. And, you know, a lot of times even DeMarcus is guilty of this where, yeah, you can rock a guy from side to side and, and take it to the rim. But should you be right now? And they don't know what a good shot is. That's probably the biggest thing with this Kings offense. They don't know what a good shot is. And that's pretty much all of them, you know, even Darren included. They're still trying to feel out what that is. So when you're when your back is against the wall offensively, you start to reach for things you wouldn't normally reach for. You, it's kind of like James Harden was against Garrett Temple, you know, a couple games back in the first meeting. He started taking bad shots because he couldn't take the shots he would normally take. That's what you do when you're struggling. The the the, the rim gets smaller, the hoop gets smaller, and everything just tightens up. And, and these guys, they just started taking the first shot they saw, whether that was like a Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, foray to the hoop or, you know, DeMarcus repeatedly trying to go up against Measury. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't, but it was outside of the flow of their offense. 
that and then Garrett was couldn't buy a bucket to save his life. And he's out there. If you can't get a good shot, you know, but you're Garrett Temple and you're one of the few guys that can put it down on the floor and do a little something and not not a lot, but you can at least get a couple steps into the into the paint and pull up. You know, you're trying to do stuff. He couldn't hit the rim. It was ugly. It was it was a, a snowball effect. Um, they have to figure out ways to manufacture good offense and that whether it's a function of the system or not, I don't know. But I think you have to take players off the floor that really hamper you on that side. So unfortunately, Ben, I don't think can play and maybe they're showcasing him. Maybe they're not. You know, I don't think that you can play Willie Cauley Stein a whole lot until the offense improves, you know, and on down the list. Kind of a shame that a Flalo can't get on the floor right now. I don't know to what degree because I haven't been sniffing around that story. He's refusing to play. You know, that's the report that came out of uh, KHTK. That was a report. I, I haven't got anything on that yet. Uh, but I, if I'm not mistaken, when they went to put him in the game, it was like the game was over. over. And it was like, look, if you want to put in rookies, that's fine. But I'm a whatever year vet. And I, I don't know the whole story there. I'm, I'm going to have to look into that further. So I'm not going to jump on on the anti-Aaron Aflalo bandwagon. Um, I, it just kind of feels so similar to Marco Bellinelli, who's now shooting 45% from three and like a, a lethal assassin for the Charlotte Hornets. Shocker. And, and I mean, he just like <laughs> took the money, said, I don't want to be here. And then like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought we were a playoff team and we're not. And it's like, well, aren't you somewhat you know, at fault for that, just like everyone else is. It just became ugly quick. So, again, I'm not going to heap on Aaron Aflalo right now until I know the whole story. Um, this is this is what happens, though. I mean, you remember when I talked about I, – I, I took flack. I took flack, Aaron, for my 38 wins plus or minus 8. And my plus or minus 8, what was the caveat? If they can keep the drama out – the drama is here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. This is the what part that kills me is they've been in all these close games. And I think we're finally seeing, hopefully there's no more confusion about the Garrett Temple issue. And I don't, and honestly, folks, people out there, oh, he had, you know, increased minutes. He's, you know, that, that affected his shot. No. no, the guy just goes hot and cold. He's done it his entire career. He played over 30 minutes a game in Washington all the time. He, he is, even in his game last night, he defensively disrupts almost every play. He is he is that good defensively. He should get first, second team uh, defense awards. He won't because he plays in Sacramento and people are slow to figure this stuff out. He could get but, a third team. I mean, it's going to take the Kings having a much better year, but he could get a third team nod. He is really, really good. Although he's really good and he still leaves three-point shooters wide open. That is the one flaw in his game because he steps to the nail too aggressively and i can live with that but you know hey garrett if you're listening you gotta just maybe go one <laughs> one foot less because you're you're, you're, you're giving up the three and yeah. it's it's, a, it's annoying because you see that it's like watching somebody pitch a perfect game and then they got this one flaw that they cannot work out of their system but it's it's from coming down to the nail too aggressive he's trying to do too much and you can live with that uh, with a defensive player that you know plays on a team that's not known for doing too much He's trying and, to be too much of a team defender as well. And at some point, he has to realize that his team has to guard everybody else, and he's got the toughest cover. I mean, it just well, and, it is and what it is. That's, that's the, the other – okay, so back to the thing that's frustrating about these Kings is so they're in all these close games, and Garrett Temple's, you know, until recently played 24 minutes per game. You know, he's got the fourth-best net rating on the team. It's just obvious when he's on the floor that he should be out there. And I, I'm not even kidding. I would not play this guy less than 35 minutes a game. You have high volume shooter or high volume usage players that don't need another offensive player on the floor kind of scuttling up what they do. He's a perfect complement to these guys. Um, but, you know, he's not in there and you're losing by two points. You're losing by five points. You know, it's really, really clear to see that that win re win loss record could have shifted four or five games in their favor by having the right combination of players. I mean, we've seen the, t the Kings play. Teams where, you know, Kufus with a C is actually not that bad for them, where there's two bigs that, that actually they profile well against. But it still offensively throws them off 
because of the way that you have to deploy cousins because of what Kufus does in there. So that's really still got to go. And and between those two things alone, you can see their win loss record shifting. And and speaking to your point about uh, Garrett covering uh, opposing ones, you know you could the only thing that the Maps have going for them last night is Darren Williams as far as on the ball playmaking. You throw Garrett Temple on him, you know that all goes away. So what I would like to see is a little bit more strategery. You know if if you're going to go out there and and have one guy that can get it done for a team, put Garrett Temple on him. You know, slide Ben over, over to, to Wes Matthews, you know, or, or put Collison on Wes Matthews, who's not driving the ball these days. You could do things that, that I would I would like to see, you know, strategically that would, you know, kind of put a little bit more pressure on the other team. So when I look at this, I just look at a lot of missed opportunities and not even the drama off the court, which obviously contributes to this stuff. But I, and, and in the West or even the NBA at, at large, there are only six or so elite teams and everybody else in the middle is the same it, it to me it seems like they could still win 35 40 games and it wouldn't shock me at all yeah so uh it's it to me i don't even think this season is close to lost when you consider that, that the eight seed is under 500 and and you can you can catch them still if you're the kings which is hilarious if they had beat portland and been in the eighth seed you know if they had won against the mavs what would the story be that would be hilarious. What would this story be? I think that's the the question of this season is going to be what is going to be the story of the season? Is it going to be the mess that that they keep creating for themselves? The uh, the issues out at nightclubs, the players that may or may not want to play, the scuffles with the media, or is it going to be about basketball? And uh, I, for one, would really like it to be about basketball from here going forward. It's going to be really tough to to do. I don't know how Cousins is going to handle the media from here on out. I don't know if he's going to just take the fine and not have conversations with the media. I wouldn't blame him. And that's a bummer for a guy like me who, again, really has no beef with DeMarcus at all. Uh, again, I don't like some of the things he does. And that's, you know, I'm not going to be dishonest and, and tell him, oh, I think you're amazing. And, you know, but at the same time... I, you know, I have to cover him a different way than than some other people do, and that's because I'm there every day, and I've and I cover a beat as opposed to being a columnist or or someone who who writes a ton of features. So it's just uh, this is this season is on the brink right now. I, I want to see how how they respond, and this isn't a, a good week to respond. But looking at their schedule, there's never a good week to respond. Their schedule has been absolutely horrendous and and i don't even know i mean again they're playing utah on the second night of a back back to back for the second time this month how are you supposed to compete with utah after playing against portland at home flying to utah which is not a fun trip getting in super late and then playing the jazz at altitude how are you supposed to win that game and i i don't know because the utah jazz are are a really good basketball team and defensively they match up really well against the Sacramento Kings. So I don't know. I, I want it to be about basketball, but that seven years I've been saying I want it to be about basketball and it never is about basketball. So, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to change. So I, I don't know, Aaron, uh, no updates on Rudy Gay yet. We still don't know what's going on with his hip flexor, um, how long he'll be out. I, uh, I was surprised that Omri Caspi was a late scratch on Sunday. Kings really could have used him. He's a guy who, when things go bad, he usually turns up the speed and attacks. Um, so not having that one guy that might get hot and kind of free up was a downer. Um, I don't know. Any final thoughts from you, Aaron? Uh, yeah, you're going to have to play you know, Garrett Temple quite a bit against those Portland Trailblazers with that backcourt. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that... that uh, <laughs> That is a uh, brutal schedule, brutal, brutal schedule. So uh, yeah, they're just going to have to survive it. But my final thoughts are this, is leadership is the most important thing in any organization. And it starts with the front, you know, the, the front man. And, and you have to lead from the front. If you don't lead from the front, then you cannot have anybody follow you. So at every level of this discussion that we've had here today, including myself, and I'm going to continue to try to improve myself the way I cover this team and go about my business here in the NBA. Uh, everybody's going to have to lead from the front on this one. That's right. Okay, final thoughts from me. Have a great holiday week. 
uh, cherish your loved ones. Uh, we had a, uh, I live up in Lake of the Pines. I, I'm not going to give you my address and tell you my kids' names, although most people know my kids' names. Um, but, uh, we had tragedy up here this last week, uh, where two high school students unfortunately lost their lives on a rainy day, slid into the opposite lane on Highway 49. Uh, absolutely tragic. And, uh, you know, so cherish your loved ones during the holidays. Uh, take it easy. Don't drink and drive. Be safe. And uh, we'll be back very soon with with more guests, with uh, more King's content, and hopefully the, the tide turns and it's positive. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN King's Insider podcast. Special thanks to Larry Kuhn, the great Larry Kuhn, for jumping in the first half. We will see you soon.